So we're finally finishing chapter one. Do you see that? <laughs> it is a massive chapter. So give me a break. 80 verses. So And there's a lot going on. There's a ton going on. And we're going to go through some of it today. But what we'll see, and I want, I'm going to start up here. The thing, the theme that we'll see run through this whole passage, that we'll see it, is that God performs his word. God performs his word, or God keeps his word. And we'll, we'll go run through it, we'll see that. So that's the theme that I want us to see in this passage, and it's very clear. It's being emphasized everywhere. What we'll see also is that what's emphasized with this is, yes, God performs his word, and he's doing that in this situation by doing something new. So those two themes, God keeps his word, God performs his word, and then theme number two is that God is doing something new. We'll see that. I promise you. We'll go through that. And before we do that, uh, consider God's word. Creation. How did God do it? By his word, right? Uh, Genesis 1, we see God said, let there be. And then, like, repeat over and over, it says, and it was, or it was so. God said, let there be light, and it was so. God said, let there be the animals or whatnot, and it was so. By his own word. And so, who here likes hunting and fishing? Camping? Uh... Horses. <laughs> I singled out someone there. But God literally brought that up by speaking his word. Uh, Revelation 19, guess how it happens when Jesus returns, how he crushes the, his enemies? By the sword of his mouth, by his word. Uh, Isaiah 55, you might know this. He says, For the, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven... And do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. As, so we see that, right? Those of us who have gardens and lawns, we're like, okay, we need, we need water. It comes and it does its job. God says, so shall my word be that goes up for my own. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. God's word is powerful. And we experience it ourselves, right? We get convicted by it. We're comforted by God's word. We're challenged by God's word. And so even in this, uh, this unknown time of danger uh, of riots, danger uh, of possibly getting sick, this just very unknown, some change, some people graduating, some people might have gotten a new job, there's a lot going on, and we need an anchor that keeps us sure. And that's God's word. Why? Because God keeps his word. And that's what we'll see throughout this passage. So you're ready. If you do not have your Bible open or you don't have one, there's one right in front of you. In this, the, uh, the pews, our deacons got that. They did a fantastic job. They look fantastic. And so if you have it, page 904 is what Luke chapter 1. You know what? Let me check that quick. Yeah, 804. Not 904. 804. So page 804, sorry, AJ. I'm going to get chastised by the elders. No. So page 804, Luke 1. So as we get going, two things. I'm going to repeat them over and over. You're going to get sick of me saying this, and I promise you will. God keeps his word. He performs his word. And how he's doing that in this passage? Because he's doing something new. So you ready? Here we go. Verse 57. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth. And she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. She bore a son. Guess who promised this? God said through the angel Gabriel to, Ze to Zechariah, your wife, 
who's old, who's been barren all life, she will have a son. That's verse uh, 13. So already we see God is performing what he said, you will have a son, which was a miraculous birth, a, a divinely aided birth. And it's happening. It happened. And right from the get-go, let me say this. The only logical conclusion from God performing his word is that we trust his word. That we trust his instruction about parenting, his instruction about uh, our careers, his instruction about our families, our instruction in marriages, our instruction in how to work. If God performs his word, what he does, we'll see this story here, the only logical conclusion is to trust it and to obey it. So here we go. So already, from the very beginning, Elizabeth is giving birth, just as God said. And he goes on, and the, the, the neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord has shown her great mercy. And if you remember, we brought this up, where uh, Elizabeth has been barren her whole life. And at that culture, the Jewish culture, that was a big deal. Um, to them, the number one possibility is God is judging you for something. But Luke made it clear, no, Zechariah and Elizabeth are righteous. We saw that. And so he, this has been, they were barren. It was seen as a curse. And so God is showing mercy. And let me stop. I'm, I'm saying this over. I'm super excited. Mercy. We've seen this already a few times. We'll see it everywhere in this passage. Mercy. God's mercy. He performs his word and he is merciful. So here we go. I keep on saying that, but I'm excited. How did the people respond? They rejoiced, right? Guess who said that? God through the angels said they would rejoice. Verse 14. Are you sick of this already? I'm not. Here we go. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father, who here is named after a relative. So few. But his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. And they said to her, none of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what what he wanted them to be called. And yes, for a writing tablet wrote, his name is John, and they all wondered. So a little background. So on the eighth day, they're circumcised. Uh, the, the sons are according to the law. Um, a reminder with circumcision, why are they doing this? Three main purposes. Number one, um, for health. At that time, when bacteria wasn't really known, more, uh, known about and hygiene wasn't a big thing, uh, God commanded the sons to be circumcised and cut out that, that outer skin. Historically, the, the transmission from man to woman with infections is significantly de- uh, lowered in Jewish women populations, significantly. Like cervical cancer is factually super low in the Jewish in, throughout history. Anyway, number two is the Abrahamic covenant, right? They were circumcised to show the being part of the Abrahamic covenant. And that will come back up. Please follow with me. And the third one is it, it symbolizes our hearts. That we need God to work, to cut away. Uh, something interesting you might care about, this or not. There's usually, historically, ten people are watching this to make sure it happens. Ten people are watching this happen. Uh, I don't know if you remember your circumcision. No. We're moving on. But they say... They're assuming, it says, they, they would have called this name Zechariah after his father. And so, in that time, you're namely, usually named after your grandfather or father. And so they say, uh, Zechariah, but Elizabeth says, no, he should be called John. Why? Because Gabriel said that to Zechariah, he should call his name John. And so they are like, 
Maybe she's pulling one on him, and so they start signing to him. And what's interesting, besides the screaming, is that is that this not swear? Good. No, I'm just kidding. What's interesting is that the angel told Zechariah that he'd be mute, right? And it seems from here he's also deaf, that they have to be signing to him, that they can't hear him. And so they're signing, and John says this. He says, his name is John. I brought grammar before. What's interesting about this here is that he doesn't say it will be John or it shall be John. He says it is John. As if from the time the angel said his name was John, it's already been John. So God's word is being played out here again. That the baby's name is John, just as the angel said. And what is really cool here, Zechariah, he's called righteous from the very beginning, right? Yet he disbelieved but now he's learned that God performs his word. He trusts God's word and he's obedient. And we see that in this passage. Someone who's already righteous. And what a picture for us. That we, there's so much that we can learn in trusting. And how did they respond? They all wondered. Something strange is going on. Something strange. The son is getting named not by his father or grandfather or relative, but but. A different name. Something strange is going on. And then immediately, Zachariah's tongue is loosed and he spoke blessing God. He's been quiet for nine months. Nine months. Can you imagine being quiet for nine months? Could you imagine your spouse or child being quiet for nine months? This is a long... John's like, yep, yep, I guess I do. (laughs) This is a long time. And the first thing he does is he blesses God. God said that when your son's born, you can, you'll be able to speak. He's able to speak. So let me see this. So we, we have God, God's word. He said these things would happen. Your son will be born. His name will be John. When he's born, your, your tongue will be loose. You'll be able to speak again. That's all happening. And three things, some big things. Number one, the old and the barren are giving birth. That is not normal at all. We see that already. And it's emphasized over and over. Elizabeth is past the age. She's been barren her whole life, and now they're giving birth. Number two, he's named something that's not even normal in the terms of that culture, and no relatives. And number three, is that a miracle that Zechariah can speak. Something is happening, something unique. God is doing something new. And the people all realize that. Verse 65, and fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea, and all who heard played them. I'm sorry, I'm just laughing because we talk about gossip. This is just spreading everywhere. Something is going on. It heard them laid up in their hearts saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with them. These things happen. And fear spreads, it says. Fear. Do we ever pray for fear to spread in solely community? To fear of God just disperse. In Acts, we see this happen all the time. Uh, Sapphira and Ananias, when they get killed and executed by God, fear spreads in the community. In Acts 9, the church is walking in the fear of the Lord, and the church is multiplied and built up. Acts 19, when the sons of Sceva, when they try to, uh, to cast out demons, and they're overpowered, Fear goes out and Jesus is extolled. This fear of God, this fear, this reverent fear, this acknowledgement of who God is, goes out. 
And we see that this happens here, that these things happen around John the Baptist's birth, and this fear of God goes throughout the community. All heard and talked about it. Something new is happening. Verse 67. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying. And so if you remember back, Elizabeth prophesied back in the, I think it was two weeks ago we looked at this. Now Zechariah is. Now, follow this. Are you ready? Two weeks ago we saw Mary. Uh, her, it was called the Magnificat because of the Latin. Here Zechariah speaks or prophesies. And we'll see that he talks about Jesus. We'll see he talks about John the Baptist. He talks about three different covenants. He talks about a lot of stuff. But the main thing I want us to see is God performs his word. All this is happening according to God's word. We ready? Okay, here we go. 68. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. The last time God visited his people, or at least the big time that God visited his people in history, comes in Exodus 4, which reads this. And the people believed, and when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel, and they had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. And guess what happened right after that? The Exodus. Literally the pinnacle of God's work for the Israelites the access happened. God visited, and God literally crushed the superpower of the time. Literally, the Egyptians wiped out their whole army. God visited his people. Zechariah, what is he saying? God is doing something new. Just like God did something Exodus, he is doing something new here. He goes on. For he has visited and redeemed his people. What does God's visitation mean for his people? Redemption. And we talked about redemption back in our study of Galatians. What does it mean? It means a payment being done in order to buy back someone, right? A payment being done to buy back someone. And we see, we know in history, the payment is Christ's own blood, his own death. The pay, the, what he's buying back are us, those who believe. And Zechariah sees this and he's proclaiming, God is visiting his people. And what that means is redemption for his people the Messiah himself is coming. He, his price is himself. And he's buying back his people. And this whole thing is all about hope. You ready? Here we go. Verse 69. And has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. At uh, the camp that Casey and I met, they had some Scottish Highlands, right? Uh, so some cows or whatnot. Big horns, very hairy kind of looking cows. They had a bull there, and its name, what was his name, Garrison? Yeah, it was, so it was, it was kind of tame for a bull. <laughs> Casey was actually able to sit on its back, it was that tame. But we always, always made sure we knew where the horns are, because that thing could impale us and kill us in seconds, as those have been around animals, for sure. In fact, this is actually funny, the boss of the barn had this horse, that was significantly overweight. Can you can you agree to that, Casey? Significantly overweight horse. It got into a cage with a different bull, and it literally impaled it up its butt cheek and threw it over a fence. And so my point being, these things are powerful. And that's exactly what this horn represents, is power. 
Zechariah prophesies that God has raised up a horn of salvation, this power, this Messiah. It's not going to be some wimp, some emasculated man. He's going to be powerful. This horn of salvation, he says, for us in the house of his servant David. What is he talking about? We saw this when Gabriel came to Mary. And spoke about Jesus in terms of king, like kingship talked, right? The Davidic king, the Davidic lineage, the Davidic king who's coming, the, the Davidic covenant. That's what he's speaking in about Jesus. And here is exactly what Zechariah is saying here. This horn of salvation from the house of David, this Messiah king is coming. Not some whip. He is coming with mighty and strong and power. Here's the horn of salvation. God is performing his word. He promised this. Over 40 times in the Old Testament, he talks about this Davidic king who's coming. This Davidic king who's coming. Imagine. Imagine you're a Jewish kid. Every Sabbath, the Old Testament's open and it's red. And you hear about this Davidic king who's coming. He's bringing salvation. Not only spiritually, but also politically and earthly. He's bringing salvation. He is coming. Every Sabbath, every festival, he's coming. He's coming. The prophets, maybe if you live even from the back, he's coming. He's coming. And now Zechariah is like, he's coming. The king is coming and he's powerful. And so he goes on. Verse 70. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. And this is just keying on. God spoke this long ago by the prophets and he's bringing it to pass. He is performing his word. He said it happened. It's happening. Jesus is coming. He's performing his word. And I just mentioned that the Messiah is bringing a spiritual salvation and a political earthly salvation, right? Almost what Zechariah says here, he'll save us from our enemies, right? Do we see that now politically? No, no, we don't see that. Let me dive into this for one second. Please bear, give me grace. As we diverge for a second, we'll come back. I promise you. But this will make sense. The prophecies of the Messiah, all through the Old Testament, we see the spiritual salvation, no, no question, suffering servant Isaiah, that he will bear our iniquities. But we also see this political, earthly, he will set up his kingdom. He will rule with justice. He will rule with righteousness. This, this horn of salvation, he will rule. What the prophets did not see is that there's two comings. There's the first coming Jesus came and he took care of the spiritual. He came to die for our sins. And he, he promises, I'm going to come again. And I will set up my earthly kingdom when I come. So when the, the prophets prophesied, they saw this. They saw all in one. And Jesus came and he's teaching, it's this. There's two. Not just one, but there's two. There's two comings. And so the kingdom has an already not yet. Please follow with me. It's big because it's how we interpret a lot without scripture. Already, the kingdom has been inaugurated. Already, Jesus has come. Already, Jesus rules. Already, he has saved his people from their sin. Already. But he'll come again, his second return, the not yet, in terms of our location, not yet. He'll return. He'll consummate his kingdom. He's going to rule on this earth, literally. He's going to rule on this earth in righteousness and justice. So already, the king has been inaugurated. Already he's saved his people. Already his authority is going out through his word, his instruction already. Not yet, his second return. 
when he will come and rule physically on earth when the kingdom is consummated. Does that make sense? So there's already not yet. Zechariah presents it as one big package. He's coming for our, our salvation from our sins, but also to rule. Isaiah 9-7 brought this up, I think, two or three weeks ago. Isaiah writes, Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is sure and this is coming. This is coming. Zechariah goes on, 72. He says, To show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness and before him, before him all our days. To show mercy. There we see again, mercy. This emphasis that God performs his word is here again. As he promised to our fathers to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore. That's three times right there. He's nailing us out. What is he talking about? Now he talked about the Davidic covenant that he made with David. Now he's talking about the Abrahamic covenant that he made with Abraham, right? With Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob, their fathers. To remember his covenant. Um, The last time that language was used, to remember his covenant, Exodus chapter 2. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. And what happened? The Exodus. Zechariah is pointing back to the pinnacle of God's acts in the Old Testament. He's saying, remember that? God is doing something new. The Messiah is coming. Your son is the front runner of the Messiah. God is doing something new, just like the Exodus, if not greater. God performs his word, as he said to the fathers, to Abraham, to David, to all the the Jews in history, through the prophets. God is performing his word, and he is doing something new, just like the Exodus. Here we go. I keep on saying that. I'm just getting excited. And so the Abrahamic covenant, if you remember, God promised him three things. Descendants, land, and I'm missing it. What was the third one? To bless all the families. I'm sorry. Descendants, land, to bless all the nations, right? If you remember back in Galatians, we read this. The Galatians 3. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness... Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. In the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And so the descendants, the blessing of the nations, is happening through Christ. The promise of land is coming with Christ, with Christ's second return. So the point in all this, to sum that part up, God keeps his word, and his word is being fulfilled in the Messiah who's coming. And then Zechariah turns to his own son, John, verse 76. And you, child, speaking to uh, his eight-day-old son, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. 
And if you remember, between Malachi, if you look in the Old Testament, the last prophet, until now, there's about a 400 period of silence. There has not been a prophet. But now John is being called the prophet of the Most High, the transcendent God who's far above us. He says, for you'll go before the Lord to prepare his way. And we read that back when Gabriel said it to Zechariah, referring to Malachi about sending a messenger before the, the Messiah. And he says, verse 77, how is he going to prepare these people? Verse 77, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. To give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Forgiveness of their sins. And we see it all throughout John's, Jesus' ministry. Repent, turn, and your sins be washed away. Listen how he describes salvation. 78. Because the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit from on high, 79, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And so we see mercy again. Two weeks ago, the main question was in that passage was, why me? Right? Elizabeth said, why me? Why is the mother of my Lord coming to me? Why does God save Alex? Why does God save me? Why does God save you? All because of God's tender mercy. It's all because of his mercy. We absolutely have nothing that deserves it. Paul says in Ephesians, he says, he, after he describes the state we're in in our sin, he says this, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we are dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And he gives this picture of salvation, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. This might be an echo to Malachi. Ryan, you like this. He says, but for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in his wings. This is why I said this. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, right? When you let calves out, they go flying. I think of horses. Uh, you let them out of their pen, they go nuts. When there's snow on the ground, all they want to do is roll in it. They're just, just joy. And so he's talking about the sunrise has come. And you're like a calf. I don't know if you like that description. But you're like a calf that's let out and you're ready to roll. Uh, who, who watches uh, PBR, pole, uh, Pro Bull Riding? Anyone big and watch that? Yeah. They open the gate. What happens? Well, the, the circumstances are a little different, but the gate's open, <laughs> and the bull goes nuts, right? And so he's saying here, the sunrise has come, and you're like a calf that just goes out. This, this joy, this forgiveness of our sins. In 79, listen to this. To give light to those who sit in darkness. And in the shadow of death. So why is this salvation needed? Because we sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. He says, this Messiah is coming. He will guide our feet into the way of peace. In Romans, listen to Romans chapter 3. Paul describes those who are lost. Those who are condemned. He describes them this way. This is Romans chapter 3. He says, none is righteous, no not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. He's quoting Psalms, by the way. He's, he's quoting this. 
Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. And their paths are ruined to misery. Listen to this, verse 17. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And so there's this description of those who sit in darkness and a shadow of death. Yet the Messiah has come as the sunrise to do what? To guide our feet into the way of peace that we do not know. So we got this picture, this amazing picture of the salvation, this horn of salvation from the house of David, this Messiah who, is, who has come already. Who, we talked about this. Something new is happening. It's happened. The Messiah has come. He has died on the cross. It is finished. Our sins are forgiven. And he ascended. He died. He rose again. He ascended. And he's coming back. And those promises of this righteous and just rule, it's coming. It's promised over and over. In fact, you're a heretic if you don't believe that. According to the church history, if you do not believe Jesus is returning and he's going to rule, it's considered blasphemy. Jesus is returning. I don't know why I threw that out there. Just if you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> Jesus is returning. So let me finish it up here. Uh, verse 80. And a child grew and became strong in spirit and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance in Israel. And then Luke chapter 2 is all about Jesus. And it's very similar with John, how it's laid out. That verse 80, we'll see the same thing described to Jesus. But we'll always see Jesus is greater. John pointed to salvation in Jesus. Jesus is the one that makes salvation happen. And so we'll see that. But let me sum this up. Those two themes. Number one, God performs his word. He says it, he will do it. Therefore, we can trust it. So, in terms of paying the bills, you can trust that as you first seek the kingdom of God, God will provide your needs. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. This is all over. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, 8, verse 8. Philippians 4, 19. In terms of anxiety, trust that God cares for you. And you can cast all your anxieties on Him. 1 Peter 5, 7. In situations you do not know what to do, you can trust God that when you ask for wisdom... God will give you wisdom, James 1.5. In terms of guilt and condemnation you deal with, trust that there is absolutely no condemnation for those who are in Christ, Romans 8.1. In terms of salvation of your children, trust that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation and that God answers prayer, Romans 1.16, James 5.16. In terms of times you lack confidence, Trust that God has not given you a spirit of timidity, but a power and love and self-control. 2 Timothy 1.7 In terms of the good sexual desire you have for the opposite sex, trust that the most God-glorifying and lasting, fulfilling way is being sexually moral. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 In terms of pain and sorrow you may be experiencing, trust that God is the God of comfort and He will use it. It's not for a waste. He will use what you're going for. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 through 4. In situations where it seems God, everything is falling apart. When it seems like everything's against you, trust that God works everything for good. Romans 8, 28. In times of surplus, whether money, time, or any other resource, trust that it's better to give than to receive. Acts 20, 35. In times your life seems to be producing nothing lasting or nothing good, trust that if you're abiding Christ, he will produce lasting fruit. John chapter 15, 1 through 8. When you've been praying for a long time and don't see any kind of answer or any difference, trust that God answers the prayers of the persistent. Luke 18, 1 through 8. 
When you feel so weighed down and burdened, trust that those who come to Jesus find rest. Matthew 11, 20-30. When you're so frustrated with your failures as a spouse, parent, follower of Christ, child, student, whatever, trust that the work of God that he has started in your life, he will bring it to completion. Philippians 1, 6. When you're overcome with worry and it seems like everything is out of control and you're stressed, trust that praying to God about this situation for others, giving thanks, will result in the peace of God. Philippians 4, 6-7. When people are disappointed in you, when they've abandoned you, when people have given up on you, trust that Jesus will never leave you or forsake you and nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. Romans, uh, Romans 8, 8-39, Hebrews 13, 5. I'm almost done. When you're burned out by serving the church, burned out from work, burned out from being a mother or father, burned out and listening to your parents, just burned out, trust that your labor is not in vain if it's done for God's glory and in obedience to Him. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. When you're faced with the temptation to gossip, temptation to disobey, temptation to lust, Trust that God's grace is sufficient to get through the temptation. 1 Corinthians 10.13 When you're faced with your weaknesses and are so discouraged, discouraged by your weakness as a father, as a leader, as a mother, as a provider, a child, trust that God's grace is sufficient. 2 Corinthians 12.9 And when you've been hurt deeply by someone, when you've been wronged at work in your family and you're enraged, trust that vengeance is God's and he will repay. Romans 12.19 Last one. When you are sick of hearing the news of terrorism, of horrible crimes, of horrible things that are happening, trust that Jesus' return is imminent and he will punish the unrighteous and he will make all things new. Revelation 21, 1-5, Matthew 25, etc., etc. It goes on and on and on. God keeps his word. God performs his word. We can trust his word. We can trust his promises. And that second theme, that God is doing something new. God is doing something new. John the Baptist came. He's the front runner. And there's a lot of good stuff about him, but he was constantly pointing, I don't, I'm not even worthy to untie the sandals of the one behind me. Jesus is coming. I wrote, uh, John 3.30, I think it is. Three, yep, 3.30. Uh, I must decrease, so he must increase. Jesus, the Messiah, is coming. The horn of salvation. He's making things new. God has visited Emmanuel, right? God with us. Another name for Jesus. So if you're not following him today, the call is to repent and trust in Christ alone. He can take away your shame. He can wash away your sin, the forgiveness of sins, as we read. He can make you something new. And if you are here today following him this morning, do not forget that Jesus has finished it. Just as Keith was preaching about remembering that Peter in a passage talked about I will not cease to remind you all my days. As long as I'm here, I'm going to remind you. In the same way, do not forget that Jesus has paid it all. Jesus paid it all. If you trust in him, it's done. He said, it is finished. God performs his word, therefore we can trust it. And God is making something new in Christ. Please pray with me. Father, Lord, a lot of times we're like Zechariah. We hear your word and kind of difficult to figure out how it's going to happen that we don't really believe in God. Lord, we're thankful that just as with Zechariah, you're gracious even in your discipline. It's for our good um, that we can learn to trust you. And God, whatever situation we all are in today, whatever hardship or whatever's going on, 
Help us to trust you, God. Help us to trust your promises. That we see the promises you fulfilled to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all the prophets, uh, the Davidic king, the promise of blessing, and it all comes through Jesus Christ. Lord, help us. Give us grace to, to believe and to trust. Lord, we pray this all in your son's name. Amen.